The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 12th Doctor story, Under the Lake. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel is Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father. Howdy, but we're not going under the sea? <laughs> I was sorry, I was going to try singing it, but nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> I thought about it too, but no, I don't know it well enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to offend some Jamaicans with my terrible accent. <laughs> and, <laughs> Folks will notice Jimmy's not with us this week, so uh, we'll we'll trudge along without Jimmy, but he'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, he's got some other stuff to do. But uh, in the meantime, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or on the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And while we're talking about Jimmy, the here's another show on the StarQuest Network you'll be sure to enjoy. Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World, which is actually a little appropriate for today's episode. Mm -hmm. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Right. So we're talking about Under the Lake. Uh, I will be giving the recap this week. But uh, just to start, just to mention that this is a first of a two-parter. That uh, So next week we'll be covering the second part. But here's what happens in part one. In an underwater mining facility, the crew discovers a mysterious craft and brings it inside for investigation. While exploring the craft, they accidentally activate its engines and are forced to retreat, leaving their captain, Moran, behind, presumably dead. Three days later, the Doctor and Clara arrive at the facility and find it in disarray. They discover evidence of a recent fight and realize something strange has happened. It is Doctor Who, after all. The Doctor and Clara continue their search for the missing crew members and stumble upon two ghosts. The ghosts walk through a wall. The Doctor and Clara follow them, ending up in the hangar where the alien ship is stored. They find strange writing on the wall that's not translated by the TARDIS. And the ghosts now appear armed, ready to attack. The crew has taken refuge in a Faraday cage on the base, and the Doctor deduces that the ghosts are actual dead people. Pritchard dies. The Doctor and Clara return to the TARDIS as the cloister bell begins ringing. Uh, the Doctor explains to Clara the ghosts are a contradiction since they're dead but still here. The TARDIS wants to take off. He keeps it from going. He wants to investigate the ghosts. He comes up with a plan to capture the ghosts and question them about what's going on. They are successful, find out that they are repeating the same four words over and over, which leads them to an old church under the lake where they find a suspended stasis chamber and the doctor can't open the chamber, but he comes up with a plan to get them to open, to, to reveal their plan. And then he ends up apparently dead at the end. Uh, he ends up traveling through time. Yeah. Jimmy's better at this than I am, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> Well, there's an art to creating these uh, summaries that uh, Jimmy has down. I get to acknowledge he's got it. He does it very well, much better than I do. Uh, so I'm going to have to do a little bit better job of uh, of of doing these summaries. But uh, it's hard to summarize without sucking up all of the conversation and discussion afterwards. But anyway, so uh, overall, first impression, Father Corey, of Under the Lake. 
Um, running around in quarters under a lake. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, this we were discussing before the, the the we started recording about you know our our impressions when we first watched this, and I think we both kind of agreed that it was just kind of meh and confusing. Well, I don't find it as confusing as it was, but I still kind of find it meh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember the first time watching these two episodes, Under the Lake and Before the Flood, and mm-hmm. finding them both kind of, uh, like, the the whole story, the complete story, a little confusing because it's it's told out of order. Like, mm-hmm. the next episode takes place, you know, a, a century or something in yeah. the past, like in, like in 1980 or something like that. And, it's kind of, and it was kind of weird, and I wasn't understanding how they were connected and that sort of thing. I remember now... Watching it again, knowing how it will end, and that the second part is connected to this one, it was a little less confusing. I'll be curious. To, I haven't watched the second one again yet. Yeah, but I'll be curious yeah. to see if that one's any less confusing. If the whole story as a whole is less confusing, uh, but there isn't a lot that happens to this. I mean, I read that the the summary, but really, it's a lot of running around in corridors, mm-hmm. wondering why these ghosts are trying to kill us, and um, so. And, you know. and there's a literal scene where they're running around the corridors with the ghosts chasing them and doing it on purpose. So, I mean, <laughs> right. that's about as running around in corridors as you can get. <laughs> yes. And it's a classic, literally a base under siege, right? This base is mm-hmm. under siege by, by ghosts. And, you know, we've seen this very plot over and over again. What was it? 42 with the, not exactly the same plot, obviously, but. This idea of running about in a confined space, trying to find the solution as time run is running out for us, that sort of thing. I mean, there's not literally a ticking clock on this one, but mm-hmm. you know, it they're they're unable to leave and that sort of thing. Um, although I kept wondering, what the obvious question: Why didn't they just go to the TARDIS and fly away? Right? I mean, I suppose the Doctor wants to solve the mm-hmm. the, the question. Oh. Well, that's that's the biggest thing. It's the it, 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 not that they couldn't have done it, and it's not that they couldn't have had the escape shuttle come and actually, or escape submarine come and actually get them. You know, like meet that this this meet them right at the dock and immediately or the the airlock and immediately jump in and go. You know, don't even bother. Yeah. You know, turning off the engine kind of thing. You know, nuts something like that. Um, it was the doctor wanted to solve what was that's going true. on. I mean, that, that's, that's really true. what it was. You know, first of all, it's because there are no ghosts and also now there are ghosts. And if, if I remember correctly, the answer is there are no ghosts. This is something else. Right. And I think, so, if right. I, again, one of the hints that I think I remember is it has something to do with the electromagnetic signature of the, of the ship that they found. You know, it's, it's something because it's, um, you know, they talk about in this one where uh, the ghosts, quote unquote, don't come out during the day cycle because everything's powered up and there's electromagnetism, mag- magnetic locks that are being recycled and things like that. That right. doesn't happen at night. So things like that. Right. Th- that would, which kind of, yeah. Interfere with them. Sorry. Yeah. And that would kind of go to the ending where it, the doctor is apparently dead and a ghost, but he's, you know, it will, obviously turn out that he's not dead sorry yeah. that's not really a spoiler the dark's not dead yeah this, this has been long enough spoiler <laughs> yeah. season is over <laughs> yeah yeah but even then i mean it's the dark's not dead so uh so you know so how, it's it's this electromagnetic imaging based on the thing in the eye and uh, and that whole thing i do remember that much 
Um, so, uh, it, uh, although, you know, if you want to hear more about ghosts, you can go to uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Episode one was about ghosts, and uh, we've had other episodes recently about, about ghosts as well. Um, you know, for, for Catholics, ghosts are not incompatible with the Catholic faith. In fact, there are ghosts talked about in the Bible. So, yeah. yeah. Um, this was a story written by Toby Whithouse, who's written quite a number of Doctor Who stories. I think the one that stands out for me is the, was it the, um, no, he was actually in that one. The one where the first doctor, where the, yeah. the this 12th twice doctor, upon a time. twice upon a time. He actually was yeah. in that in a minor role. That's right. He yeah, didn't he write was, that one. Yeah. He was the German soldier, um, in that one. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I, I don't, I can't, I'm not going to say, I, you know, that he, I didn't like any of his, I mean, as I, as Other I recall, ones, he, yeah. he's one that um, I find to be kind of hit or miss, where he's got some yeah. good stuff. Okay, so he wrote School Reunion, the Sarah Jane. That was episode. pretty good. That was yep. a good one. Um, Vampires of Venice, God he, Complex. He, uh, <laughs> that was Town Jimmy called hates that Mercy. <laughs> Town yeah. called Mercy. That was awful. So, yeah. With, yeah. Lie of the Land. So I remember had, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't either. I'm actually going to look at it here real quick. Uh, yeah, I don't that's, remember that one either. I even just kind of glancing at it. Oh, but it's, that's it's, the one with the alternate history. Remember the, uh, the aliens had taken over and oh, I, yeah, with actually, Bill and Nardole. I don't, I don't remember it. That's, that shows how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, I mean, yeah. Between town called mercy and the God complex. I mean, the town called Mercy. I didn't think it was horrible. I, there was there was parts of it I liked. The God Complex was was annoying and really. And I know Jimmy hated that one. So uh, oh yeah, yeah. That I remember his reaction. That was pretty pretty strong. But so he doesn't have a great track record no. here. He's kind of like I said, kind of hit or miss. Yeah. This and this is just like I said, kind of a meh one. So right. So it takes place in the year twenty one nineteen. This episode does. Mm-hmm. And it's in an underwater mining facility called The Drum in Scotland, uh, which we're told this lake was made when a dam burst back in the 1980s. And you know, yep. that's what we're going to see in the next episode before the flood. That's literally the mm-hmm. title of the episode. Uh, so and it's this it's kind of weird. It's sort of like a they're a military crew, but it's a mining facility like a like a commercial mining facility kind of yeah kind of weird. yeah it's i you know i well the, the the guy that pritchard who was the the representative from the company makes it sound like this is a contract organization by the military because this this yeah. was a military site this was a military base back right. in time so it's possible it's still owned by the 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 military and still you know run by the military Okay, but, and so but then the, it's the a company company coordinates with them or provided the actual facilities or. It's kind of weird, just the idea that if you have you've got a lake where you've discovered oil underneath, and so you build an under like how deep could this lake possibly be that you need to build an underwater facility? You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Like we, we don't do that now. We don't build underwater mining facilities, a trillion dollar underwater mining facilities, as we're told to mine oil under a lake. It's just right. kind of weird. Well, know. and you know, it's, it, 
I, I wonder part of that is, you know, of course you had to have the underwater facility. Now why they wouldn't have done like under the ocean or something like that. Yeah. You know, well, because need- the ocean had flooded or, or something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, yeah. It's obviously it's a fairly deep lake if they need to do this, especially, you know, yeah. You know, especially if the submarine takes so long to get there, I don't know, but, it's but then again, weird. you know, having, yeah. you know, living in an area and having lived in an area where there is a lot of oil mining, the, 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 the Bakken field in North Dakota, they've got mm-hmm. other technologies that are much better where they can literally dig straight down and then turn it and <laughs> horizontal yeah. drill right into it. So they could go underneath the lake that way. But again, this is, you know, then you don't get the, the running around the, the, the underwater right. corridors. So, yeah, I just felt like the premise itself kind of it was bad, you know, kind of not bad, mm-hmm. but the premise itself was flawed. Weak. And that kind of took took away a little bit of my enjoyment, like thinking about what well, the premise was flawed. So the crew itself, that the surviving crew, so the Moran is the captain. He ends up uh, getting killed right away. Uh, and so we have the crew, the Cass, who's now ne- next in command, is interesting. She's deaf and played mm-hmm. by a deaf actress, I uh, yes. apparently. And uh, so that was added an interesting element to it, where she also needed an interpreter mm-hmm. to help her with, uh, you know, communicating with others. So that's a, an interesting aspect that they included. I kind of like that. I add some interest to the crew. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it was, you know, and, and it's something you don't normally see on TV is someone where they, they are not saying words. They don't ever say words. Even, you know, usually when you have someone, you think of somebody like a, uh, Mary Matlin, the actress Mary Matlin, she was yep. deaf, but she could vocalize. She could speak. Right. You right. know, so you don't yeah. see a lot of even deaf people who can't, you know, do some speak, you know, to have someone yeah. who was completely mute, didn't say, you know, didn't say anything, but it was all sign language. It was, it was pretty interesting. I, I, I want to, like you mentioned, actually, personally, like, we have a, a, a local parish that we go to sometimes, um, we, we, you know, if we can't make it to our, our own parish or for holy days, where there's a uh, deaf priest uh, in residence. He's, mm. uh, he's the head of the deaf apostle for the Archdiocese of Boston, and he has an interpreter who interprets for him. You know, she sits in the front pew and she yep. does the sign and, you know, she reads his signs and vocalizes the right. prayers and homily and also, you know, uh, uh, signs back to him the responses of the people, which is kind of interesting, and yeah. um, also interesting to see him celebrate mass one handed while he's signing the prayers of consecration. You know, he's holding the host in one hand and signing with the other. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. wild. Now, that, the combinations made. Yeah, it's kind of in, that would be kind of interesting because I thought usually sign language sign language typically used both hands, but I suppose maybe there is a variant of it that for if your one hand is occupied. Right. I mean, you can certainly, you can spell with one hand, which is the, the big, the big thing. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's interesting to see and experience. And, um, I, frankly, I find it, it, uh, I enjoy the experience of going to his masses. First, Mm -hmm. he's a, he's, he's a a very good preacher, but also just because it's another language, it's, it's a visual language. I have to pay attention even more. I mean, his homilies are good anyway. Uh, and yeah. I try to pay attention to all masses I go to, but yes. you know, because you're, you're, uh, you're trying to get more out of it. It's, you know, it, you know, or it, cause it's in a literally another language. I, I yeah. it's kind of fascinating. So we, I, we, was we actually that. had a similar situation like that with the priest who's now retired. I don't even know where he's at. I, I believe he's still alive, but I know he's retired. Yeah. Um, 
where he was, he had a major stroke and it took away his, almost all of his ability to speak. He could speak, you know, one or two words at a time. And it was Mm. even a struggle for that, but he could learn sign language. Oh, wow. And so he learned, he had to, I don't know if he knew sign language before or if he had to learn it after he would do the same thing. He would sign the mass and then would have an interpreter who would basically read what he was saying. Now, I don't know. I don't think in her case, she was an interpreter. I think she just had the text of, of the mass. Okay. Yeah. The same That's idea. Yeah. There was, there had to be some theology developed on that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too much off on the tangent, yeah. but you know, and, because they were used to the understanding was you have to say the words aloud. Right. Uh, and so this is a way of saying the words aloud, but by hands, not voice. Yep. So. Wow. That's cool. So uh, back to uh, Doctor Who. The, um, there is a whole thing. So when the Doctor and Clara show up, there's this whole thing where he, he, the TARDIS is upset. He keeps mm-hmm. talking about how the TARDIS is upset. And it wants to leave. And we eventually discover that it's upset because the ghosts are a kind of temporal paradox. Is that? Do you remember that? Yeah, there's there's some there's something about them that that's causing conflict with the TARDIS, and it was, and I and I think this does get developed. And remember correctly, in the second episode, we find out why they're this paradox. Um, but it it's not made clear here, other than there's something about them that is really upsetting the TARDIS. Uh, at the beginning part, what I what kind of irritated me at this beginning part is they get out and they're almost giddy at having an adventure. Clara's like, we're going to have another adventure. Let's go have another adventure. I want to have another adventure. And it's <laughs> right. just like, this is off-putting. But it, it builds up to the end of the season, actually. Right. And in fact, at one point in the episode, the doctor kind of chastises Clara, like that she's going native, that she's mm-hmm. becoming the Dr. Clara, in a sense. Um, you yeah. know, he says, there's only one room for me on this TARDIS, me. And yeah. uh, and so I, I gather that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to build up this idea that Clara is going, you know, like a lot of companions do, especially in New Who uh, or most almost entirely New Who. They kind of become like the doctor and have to right. be let go. You do, yeah, you do see some of the classic companions start to take on aspects of the doctor. Um, you could think of something like Adric, where he learned how to fly the TARDIS and and even Nissa, who kind of learned a little bit, um, and they they get some of that. You know, Ace that was going to be one of the plot lines. Actually, she was going to become potentially become a time lady, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but not to the level you see in New Who, where Rose becomes that, and then Amy becomes that, and Clara <laughs> becomes that, and you know, right? And Donna, kind of regular the repeating famously. Donna. Donna literally yeah. becomes Doctor Donna. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah, it, and it, because it's it's portrayed as a negative. It's not just they've learned some skills to be more useful mm-hmm. companions. It's they become more like the Doctor in personality, and that's a problem. Yep. And that's kind of how it's portrayed. Uh, yeah, I wonder. I mean, it kind of creates this negative understanding of the Doctor, like that somehow being like the Doctor is bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that it's something I. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of, I guess it makes the doctor, you know, a little more gray, a little, you know, is, I mean, we saw that with the Time Lord Victorious and the David Tennant, yeah. you know, era. 
the that there are aspects of being a time lord that can be bad and maybe that's mm-hmm. maybe it's good if we can get a little uh uh moral ambiguity into this character and make it more interesting and complex i guess well and it's it's part of this is the you know the whole first season of capaldi am i a good person you know that yeah. whole struggling with that which you know got irritating you mentioned time lord victorious and part of it too is these aren't time lords and they don't have the thousands of years of experience that the doctor has in this because you know right. compare the first doctor and his what he did compared to you know capaldi and and some of that is tv writing evolving from the 60s to today but yeah. some of that too is the character evolving from generation to generation to generation mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that. So one of the interesting aspects about this spaceship that was found under the lake is that it it's a, it's mostly empty. It's got this interesting, like, spare white interior, like some mm-hmm. spaceship from the 70s. <laughs> so it's very, <laughs> and, but what it does have is this scratched-in writing that the TARDIS doesn't translate and that whenever anyone looks at it, you see a weird white reflection of it in their eyeball. That's this very yep. clearly they're doing something there. Uh, and everybody ends up looking at it except for the sign language interpreter named Lun. His mm-hmm. Cass won't let him go inside the spaceship because it's too dangerous. And Frank, I think partly because if she loses him, she, she doesn't she have uh, yeah. an interpreter. Yeah. So there's a, uh, and that plays that the fact that he doesn't go on board and look at the writing, we get a clue why that's important in this one. When the ghosts yep. are chasing them all, he gets cornered, but the ghost doesn't kill him. Which yeah, is, they leave him alone because he hasn't been imprinted as this. We find out later as basically a transmitter. Every person that becomes that is killed and turned into a ghost is actually adding to the transmission. They're actually boosting right. the signal of the transmission to point out where the ship crashed. Right. And yeah, it will turn out that it's like an SOS or, um, yeah, uh, yeah a, a, a distress signal. Um, so, so we have this weird writing. The TARDIS can't translate when the doctor and Clara finally find the crew hiding in this Faraday cage, uh, at, uh, at night, um, mm-hmm. the, he does the psychic paper and it says he's from unit and they all recognize unit. Yeah. And in fact, at least one of them recognizes the doctor. That it is as, the doctor. Maybe didn't recognize this particular regeneration of the doctor, but recognized right. that it was the doctor. Right. So, yeah. So, so he's, you know, as a unit member, you know, would be, they would be familiar with the doctor. Um, the, uh, the doctor at first rejects the idea that they're ghosts. Ghosts are impossible. And then gets weirdly excited <laughs> When yeah. he when he changes his mind, oh, there really are ghosts, and that this is you know, it, so it's kind of a funny. He, he goes through this sort of transformation mm-hmm. throughout the you know he, and that's one of the things I like about the doctor is even when he's certain about a thing, he's willing to change his mind when presented with new evidence. Yeah. You know, he he's not you know, stuffy and unable to change, so that's good. Well, um, it's, it's, we, and this again is, you know, the doctor trying to figure out what's, what's after death. You know, we saw last season with, with, you know, was it last season or season before with Missy and the, and yeah, the, no, last uh, season. The yeah. Heaven, you know, and the right. fake heaven and that, that line about, you know, we're going to hell. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go to hell. We're going to hell. <laughs> right. You know, right. Cause he wants to find out what is really there. Right. 
as someone who regenerates over and over again and has for lived for thousands of years, yeah, the idea of it, I can imagine how the idea of an afterlife would kind of nag at you after all this time, mm -hmm. you know, just I keep I keep living, but is there something but all these and all these people keep dying. Yep. Do they live on? That it's yeah. an interesting yeah. idea for someone who's almost nearly immortal. Yeah. And and of course the doctor is almost is almost inappropriately excited to the point where Clara has to tell him to take out those stupid cards, which I hated that. <laughs> the carrying cards, yes. Uh well, there is one card that says uh I think the first one is um he reads or he I don't think he reads it, but it says it was my fault. I should have known you didn't live in Aberdeen. Yeah. Which is uh, a reference to, I think, to Sarah Jane Smith when he dropped her off in Aberdeen instead of Croydon, right? Uh, well, Croydon? It wasn't Aberdeen. Well, Aberdeen is a Scottish city. It wasn't Aberdeen, though, that she was, was dropped off in. Oh, okay. It, <laughs> but, it, it would be a funny reference if, if they I, were. <laughs> I, I, think was another, I think that was another Scotland reference. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. should have known you didn't live in Aberdeen. Uh, yeah. some of the, some of those were kind of funny, but yeah, it, it's like, you know, it makes him come across as almost, uh, you know, so socially inept, right. Mm -hmm. And almost on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, you know, that the, the, they've been really kind of playing that hard with the 12th doctor. And then once we get, I mean, this is the, the big difference with the 13th doctor is how like the 12th doctor is very stereotypically scottish and you know yep. kind of disdainful of of people you know uh um what's the word um misogynist aloof. not aloof no it's not misogynist it's it's uh, against women but just against people in general like just like yeah uh I, I can't even remember the word but you know he just doesn't like people in general whereas the 13th doctor loves everybody you know there's this yeah. huge contrast so yeah yeah, well, um, and of course, there's that, again. Yeah. There was that line previously before. This is this is Clara. She's my carer. She cares, so I don't have to. That's the kind of the attitude <laughs> right. they show here. Although you know, and, right. and they they have developed this character, and then that's that's why you know I, I think he he improves as the seasons go on. Yeah, but at this, this point, he's kind of in the middle of that development where he's actually becomes much more caring as a person, right? As a character, he's less he's less angry all the time, you know, just yeah. less like cranky and that mm -hmm. that's fine. I, I don't mind a little bit of stereotypical Scottish, you know, that I, I, I kind of like it. In fact, um, I liked it when David Tennant did it in, um, Oh gosh. Oh, the, the, the Victoria, Queen Victoria, the werewolf one. No, no, actually oh. I was thinking uh, the other show that David Tennant did with, uh, Olivia Coleman oh. in, oh, um, Broadchurch. Broadchurch. Right. 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 With all the, everyone from doctor who was in it. Uh, but like he also was that stereotypically Scottish police inspector who was kind of cranky a little bit, you know. And so yeah. I, I I enjoy that. It's kind of fun. Uh, a few stereotypical characters. Um, all right. So they trap the ghosts in the Faraday cage, and they get they're 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 mouthing these words the whole time. And then the, this is where they finally figure out that the words are dark sword forsaken temple, and they mm -hmm. and somehow. <laughs> Somehow they determine <laughs> that this is coordinates, uh, and the doctor figures out that it's it's a a way of um saying something about the sword of Orion. You know, mm -hmm. the darkest space. Orion is the sword. I forget what Forsaken is, and Temple For is a church. Yeah, Forsaken. It, it's it translated to another word that basically meant planet. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So I can't remember. Um, 
desolate yeah. or something like that or right right and so they um yeah so it's a way of coordinates it kind of reminds me of that app what three words i don't know if you remember if you've mm, ever seen that seen that one it's a, we talked about it in secrets of tech so it's it's a way of they've divided it div- this app divides the world into one meter squares one square meter and uses three words three random words to describe each uh, square meter of the world so you can mm-hmm. find any spot to a very precise degree you describe it using three these three words that the app gives and in fact i've heard like in in the uk that uh some like ambulance services or rescue services will will be able to take those words and find you based on it because mm. gps like most phone gps is not is accurate within like 30 40 50 100 meters yep so if you're not you know, if it's if it's a building or whatever, you know, or or you know, something like that, it might be harder to find you. Whereas with with this, they can find you in a much smaller place. So it's right. kind of re- what it reminded me of. So. Yeah, actually, that, that that I remember hearing about that now. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a yeah. long time, but yeah, I remember hearing about it. This would have been. I mean, this came out in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, I wonder if I'm cu- curious if they got the idea from this or you know vice versa or mm-hmm. whatever. It's kind of kind of funny. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is about when they figure out that the dead souls have been hijacked and turned into tran- radio transmitters or signal boosters. Um, and they, the others, the crew, this is what we talked about before the crew, there's a submarine coming. Uh, they have to quarantine the base because they're the, it, it's clear that the ghosts have, uh, tricked the submarine to coming so they can gather up more souls to create more signal yep. boosters. Then that's like, Okay, we want to leave, and the doctor has to convince them to stay, and he does so by kind of reminding them, especially the unit folks, you've signed on to serve and protect, essentially. The scientists you signed on to discover the unknown and that sort of thing. And so he kind of guilts them into staying Mm -hmm. and endangering their lives even further, which is kind of interesting. Um, But then uh, the base starts to flood. And so they have to run for the TARDIS uh, because, you know, they're trying to get away from the, the ghosts and then they get separated. And so we have the classic doctor separation yep. for Clara and yep. uh, he's going to go back to before the flood and she gets left behind with two others. And that's when she sees his uh, ghost floating in the uh, the water outside. So yep. and the implication being he must have died when he went back in time. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, you've got the 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 one corridor that's flooding happens to be the one between the TARDIS and. <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, so it would ha- it would have to be, like, and then he says, "I, you know, the the obvious question, the obvious thing that a fan or viewer would say is, well, why doesn't he just jump the TARDIS to the other side of the flooded corridor?" And he gives some explanation that the TARDIS doesn't want to go any closer to the ghosts, you know, yeah. in the uh, alien spaceship. So, okay. So, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's interesting how Clara, when the others were upset at being separated, Clara's like, don't worry about it. He'll, you know, he's just going to go back, solve the thing. And she's very confident. She's like, absolutely sure that he, you know, any minute now he'll be back and everything will be fixed. And that's when she has that confidence shaken to see, his ghost outside the window. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way of shaking up Clara who by now has, you know, just 
is clearly convinced is that everything will always work out for the best, um, no matter how dire the situation. So interesting. Um, any other notes that you get on this episode? So the, uh, the first ghost was a Tivolian, which is, that's the species that's so cowardly. They're willing to turn their planet over to whoever shows up to conquer it. <laughs> right. Right. Which showed up in first showed up in the God complex written by Tolly Whithouse. So this is so. his species. So of course he had to bring it back. That's right. That's right. And we'll actually see that character alive in yep. the next episode. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. It's okay. Well, uh, that should do it for this time. Uh, you know, this, the, it's hard to talk about an episode. That's the first part of a two parter, like to talk about definitively. So we will wrap up this story next time when we discuss before the flood. Uh, but for this time, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jason H., Linda C., Paul D., Jack B., and Peter R. Their generous tax-deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of Under the Lake, this 12th Doctor story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch the Secrets of Doctor Who in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia and also leave comments there. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing Before the Flood. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, so we're fighting an unknown homicidal force that has taken the form of your commanding officer and a cowardly alien underwater in a nuclear reactor. Anything else I should know? Someone got a peanut allergy or something? 